ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. I'm here, as ever, with Chad. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good today, Parv. How's it going? Good. Very good. And uh, it's good to finally be into 1993, a full 10 years uh, after Starcade uh, '93, <laughs> from when we first started, yeah, Chad. Yeah, I guess uh, chronologically, the first show we ever did was Final Conflict. Um, so yeah, radically approaching the actual 10-year anniversary date of uh, the shows we've covered here on Where the Big Boys Play. <laughs> and how long's it taken us? Four years. Uh, yep, four years. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> about <laughs> almost half, about half. About half of real time. Yeah, That's called a half. Not bad. And uh, just before we get into the melt, there's not a huge amount of melts uh, this week because the gap between Starcade 92 and Clash uh, 21, 22? 22. Clash 22 that we're doing today is actually quite small. It's just a couple of weeks, so not a huge amount happened. Um, but have you got any news before we get into the, the melts, chat? I actually had a little plug um, I wanted to send out. So probably either the day after this drops or... Uh, the day this will drop. But anyway, on every Friday, I'm trying to start up a uh, match of the week club at Place to Be Nation. So this is something that happened. Uh, oh, it didn't happen very long when we tried it at Pro Wrestling Only. Maybe it'll last longer this time. But uh, I, I think it'll be a good idea if we're going to be looking at one match each week from kind of current day wrestling. Uh, the match that is generating some buzz. The first match we're looking at is the uh, anniversary CMLL Anniversaro main event of Dragon Lee versus La Mascara. Um, so that should be up on uh, Friday at placetobenation.com and every Friday after that. We got kind of a eclectic crew on uh, on that series too. Some names you may not be that familiar with were written pieces on wrestling. So I'm pretty excited about that. And you're going to stay on board with this one, not flake out on it like you did with the TNTs, Chad. Man, what is this? I, I'm getting <laughs> getting shot on Twitter for quitting the TNT. If you had to endure that, like I, I, I sincerely like my uh, happiness in life has been raised since not watching those TNTs. <laughs> um, I also have something to plug, and that is. Uh, a brand new show here on the feed if you haven't already listened to it um it's called letters from kayfabe and uh <laughs> awful I, name I, by the way <laughs> it's an awful name letters, I, letters coming from and about kayfabe you know 
You're not happy with the Legit name change? hate that name, <laughs> but go uh. <laughs> I, I just think it should have something WWF in it, because it's a WWF show. Well, this is a show about, yes, um, and I did have a little uh, marketing thing uh, that, I, that I thought about saying, but I'm having second thoughts. I'll give you a taste of it, Chad, because it was like, uh, I was going to say, like, move over Masawa, uh, or uh, like, I'm kicking uh, Kawada to the curb, or uh, what was it? Uh, um, I can't remember any other I'm, I'm, turnover Tawe uh, or whatever it was. <laughs> I'm, I'm just surprised you're not going back with your uh, food analogy like this is the sprouts of the WWF or whatever that <laughs> crap you used to say. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's got, I think, uh, it seems to have had very good, uh, you know, uh, take up in the first couple of episodes um and uh basically it's uh, myself and alan uh from uh i guess you'd probably know him best from twitter right yeah now. i would say twitter's now became his home he's doing the this day of if you follow him i i always know when i first get on twitter when i get into work first thing in the morning he's clogging up my timeline with all this on this day of but uh some interesting stuff has some Interesting photos and kind of snapshots of what happened on this day in wrestling history. Also, is uh, he does uh, the uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame podcast, where he's kind of bringing up candidates. Um, no, he's a big proponent of Big Daddy for the Hall of Fame, so we won't hold that against him if you listen to this show. He once appeared on Where the Big Boys Play, of course, back in the day. I can't remember the exact episode, but it was the one where we were talking about UK TV. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, that's that's probably like the most, now that we look at it, if we're almost 100 shows in, I would say that's probably our most obscure episode, don't you think? Like, kind yeah, of completely <laughs> irrelevant from anything else we talked about on this show. But. Yeah. Well, that may be the AWA. Yeah, AWA <laughs> would be number two. <laughs> But um, if you want to follow Alan, is he's at Alan underscore Cheap Shot on Twitter. Um, you can follow me as well if you want. But, uh, I, you know, I don't really ever say anything on Twitter, do I, Chad? <laughs> You're getting but, uh, more active. I'm, I've, I've trying, I'm trying to be more active, yeah. you know. But uh, you know, I, I'm increasingly only talking about uh, stuff from, like, the mid-80s. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that show is all about WWF. Um and, you know, it's not really looking at, you know, it is looking at, you know, 84, 85, 86, all the way up to about 96, I would say. Um, but we're not really looking at, like, Sean ladder matches or Hogan matches or anything like that. It's more kind of like what was Hercules doing after Power and Glory and stuff like that, you know. So More obscure. <laughs> We're looking at kind of like the deep, like the yeah, yeah. edges, the kind of dark corners of what's went on in WF. I, and there's a lot of stuff that happened that you just wouldn't know about, like Ian Mooney on uh, Spotlight on the most recent episode, for example. Right. So yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a gold mine of stuff there, though, just from the TV they had because they were only doing three to four pay per views, and even you know past. Uh, that's 87 and onward before then they only had one or two so you had all the TV and now we have all these house shows available via YouTube and everything so there's just so much stuff out there's a lot there's a lot of stuff you know Nick Bockwinkle on commentary right, and right. 
it, you know, just just even like uh, we have a show coming up in a few weeks, I can just tease this, uh, where we're looking at some of the early Piper's Pits. Mm-hmm. You know, just stuff like them talking about Rick Martel in 1984 when he was the AWA champion on WFTV. You wouldn't ever think that would happen. Right. But, but it happened, you know, so it's all stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of like a, it's a show for hardcore WWF fanboys, I would say. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, Justin's been all over it, Chad. Oh, yeah. Once he heard the concept, he was uh, marking out in our private chat. <laughs> and I, I should actually say that Justin is on the show as well. Yeah, I mean, he just, really loves doing the event center type. Justin is our Sean Mooney. So. <laughs> anyway, um, that's enough with the plugs, I think. Sure. Uh, and anything else? I don't believe so. Oh, ooh. I haven't spoken to you on air, Chad, since the last Battle of Atlanta. Obviously, oh, yeah. we did the um, we did the Titans of Wrestling review. You took some stick off there from uh, Pete for being the first person online to review it. But uh, are you sticking by that five star racing? Oh, so I uh, so here's a hot take. I watched it again yesterday. I know I told you I was going to watch it probably in a week or so. And um, I was listening to a, another podcast and they were discussing it and how it was, you know, I mean, they both said uh, pretty much that podcast admitted like this match wasn't for them, but they were happy that. Come on, you have to name names. The Who people, are these it was. Uh, <laughs> oh, I can't even remember now, actually. What specific <laughs> podcast it so was. So far, you've buried my new show and you've buried these guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a yeah, shooty mood today, but now so I, I rewatched it yesterday, and um, so so as you know, and people that listen to our top 100 matches, like my worst five star match is Randy Savage versus uh, Ultimate Warrior from WrestleMania Seven. So I kind of watched this one yesterday, the last Battle of Atlanta again yesterday, with the context of knowing. That was my worst five-star match, and if I could still put this one up there with it. And after rewatching it yesterday, I still really think it's great. Like, I'm, I'm still surprised, even at people that I'm normally aligned with, like Charles and Childs, that they don't, you know, think this is a kind of super great match. Like, at least in that, like, match of the year candidate four-and-a-half-star-plus range. Um, after watching it yesterday, I'm pro I'm uh, lowering it down to four and three quarters. Um, I, th- I think the, f- you know, it coming out that, that morning was just so like electric, like at work. Well, I, probably the most excited I've been as a fan in since I was a kid. Yeah. Like, like at work, I put my messenger on do not disturb and I like, <laughs> Basically, do not disturb watching Last Battle of Atlanta. (laughs) So I like isolated myself so I could uh, watch it as soon as it came out and sort of just take it all in. Um, So, so that helped, and I I, I do think in my initial review, I kind of freely admitted that that there was there was some bias and there's emotional connection with that match because I've talked about it some on this podcast part, but my. my great grandfather, who I, I mean, he passed away when I was ten or eleven. But um, I think, as people know, you know, nobody in my family was really in my immediate family, like my parents or grandparents, were wrestling fans growing up. Um, now, my dad did go to the wrestling with his grandfather, which is the great grandfather I just mentioned. 
But but he was you know he never watched it, so I kind of came into wrestling on my own as a child. Um, and you know as I've gotten older and learned more about like him, he would always go to the Cobb County Civic Center. I love Bob Armstrong and Mr. Wrestling too, my great grandfather, uh, and was a was a really passionate wrestling fan. Just sort of you learn these little nuggets when stuff like pro wrestling comes up around your family. Um, so, and then, and, and he also was a big fan of Tommy Rich. I learned from my uh, grandfather a couple of months ago. So, so, you know, I don't, I don't know if he was there at this match or, you know, what his connection was, but I do know he attended, you know, stuff from the Atlantic Civic Auditorium to the Cobb County Civic Center to some Omni shows from time to time. Um, and he, he's one of these guys that pretty much once Vince went mainstream, he totally checked out because, you know, when I did know him in my lifetime, he never mentioned wrestling when he was uh, older in age. So, so completely, I guess, burned out on it. Do you think he would have been one of those fans who watched Black Saturday and was just absolutely Yeah, it, it feels that way because I know they they said, like, yeah, as he got older, he just stopped watching completely. So I, I think it was sort of, you know, right around this time period because this, I mean, to me, this this sort of feels like like it, Atlanta wasn't that hot when the last, I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of misconception about that match overall. I mean, you know, it's, it, it wasn't a situation like Final Conflict where, based on reports, I mean, there legitimately was people that wanted to get into that match that couldn't, you know. Like, yeah. like Last Battle of Atlanta, it drew a nice house compared to the Omni didn't show. Sell out, right? Didn't sell out, didn't even do as good as the Thanksgiving tag show the next month. Um, so, so I do think there's some misconception about that. Like this was the biggest match in Atlanta history, but I do think you can make a case that really after this, uh, with JCP really coming more, I'd say into prominence and expansion that this, this was kind of the last homage to the Georgia championship wrestling that, uh, a lot of people would have kind of grown up with. Uh, so, so it's, a. It's kind of a real nostalgic match. I still think it's a great match. I, I mean, I, just that brawling on the floor with them bloodied and giving it they're all punching each other. I, I just think that is just like a great all-time wrestling moment to watch. Uh, so, some of that raw motion that I really look for in my top-tier wrestling. Uh, so, so I would say if we did do a top 100 matches, this one would make a list, but... No longer five stars, which is mad. That that happens from time to time. I'm certainly somebody that if I take a stand on a match and say it's five stars, that doesn't necessarily mean I'll think it's that. And subsequent viewings and vice versa. Um, you you always like to bring up the Atlantis <laughs> Satanico match from the Lucha set that I. Uh, First time I watched it, I, I went five stars just because I love Satanico's performance and. You know, that match now, even I don't even know if that would make my top 100 matches. I've dropped a decent amount on that one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I still, I still think it's a complete gold mine. And I would just plead if WWE has any of these other, I mean, reels that just say Atlanta Omni footage or anything to that effect. I mean, go ahead and streamline those because it, it feels like the reaction to this has been good just from our general kind of wrestling sphere, but uh, it overall it was just a treat to watch after all these years. 
have you come around on the uh, Ole uh, Ellering segment? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I mean, it, it, I, I will put this out there again. I'm not burying Marty, promise. But um, he did uh, his hot take on the day was the the double 4.5 review where he gave the Ole segment 4.5 <laughs> over the top or right. just, a, just a, what did Pete call him, like a youngster still learning the ropes? It's <laughs> <laughs> time to make a what name you, for himself. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you think? Yeah, no, that, that also was something where when I watched it the first time, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, here comes Ole. Uh, you know, got to be the main person to sort of, you know, your lasting image leaving the Omni that night is not that this iconic feud had ended, but Ollie got his revenge on Ellering. But, um, and, you know, really setting up the stuff with Jake who runs in. Uh, but, but with subsequent views of that, I've, I've lessened. Um, I still don't think it's quite at the level. I know that's sort of been thrown out there where people are saying, that that, you know, the Ole Ellering stuff is even better. I, I don't get that. Um, I, I, I personally would agree that it's not better, Chad. Yeah. But I, I do think it's a hell of a beat. Yeah, as a match, I mean, I'm probably like three and three quarters or four stars from that. I, that that whole segment, though, is one of those weird rating things where it's like, well, do you include just the whole thing? And say it's four and three quarters for the whole package, or do you separate it? Or I, I feel like that's one of the more gray areas we've seen with stuff like that. Like even you know when you include post match and stuff like that. But I mean, this is two definitely distinct matches, but they segue into each other kind of flawlessly. So it's it's almost tough not to take the whole twenty eight minute video as just one you know statement rating. Uh, what what I will say, the first time I watched that match, I was kind of in a daze because, like, the the, the finish of the, the rich one took me by surprise. Right, right. Um, I was, it was still sinking in that I had actually just watched it and I was gathering my so It took me, a, like, a second viewing to really appreciate the early stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, you know, I haven't seen much Ellering this early. So, so I mean, you still... Like, my perception going into this, even now, you know, in 2016, I was thinking, oh, this was a manager. So, you know, all he's going to get is five minutes with Ella Ring and beat him up, and then uh, and then that'll be that. So, yeah, once the last Battle of Atlanta ends, what, like 14 minutes into the video, it was kind of like, oh, my God. So, uh, it, I, I would recommend if you watch the last Battle of Atlanta once to uh, watch it twice. I know Brad watched it twice, and he said it improved uh, dramatically on his second viewing. Um, but, but I, I mean, I definitely don't think this is a match that, one, you know, it was the type of match that when I watched it, when I did my review, I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm sure some people are not going to enjoy this way as much as I do. Uh, same with the Conus Lupus versus Trauma 1 a lucha match that I watched on the same day and gave five stars to, and I stick by that rating, by the way. Um, and, and that that match actually is getting uh, more positive feedback than I imagined, too, because I really thought I was kind of going out on a limb proclaiming this obscure lucha match for well, not not too obscure, but not CMLL or AAA lucha match from 2016 is my match of the year, but. Um, that match seems to be getting uh, more positive buzz than Last Battle of Atlanta. But, I, I mean, I think the reaction to Last Battle of Atlanta has generally been positive. Just, you know, I, th- I think for us, 
sect of fans from pro wrestling only and that are really kind of hardcores of the classic footage and have been pushing stuff like the NWA on demand. This was kind of like a godsend and uh, most others don't have that type of connection to the match. Yep, and uh, I, uh, that uh, Lucha match you mentioned is one that quite a few people took their time out to message me or, you know, private message or tweeted me saying you have to watch this. Oh, of course, oh, of, course, I, of, course I, of course I didn't, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just saying it seems to, that seems to have had a lot of buzz. Yeah. For it to make, for it to make my radar, it's got to be quite an exceptional match. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where you'll go on that one. Um, if I had to guess, I'm going to say you're going to be like four stars. Uh, I, I see a Santanico versus El Dandy December 1990 type uh, review and rating from you if you watch that match. Okay. All right. So, shall we get into the Melters then? That was a longer preamble than we usually do. Yeah. But, like we said, there's not a lot of Melters, so this should be re- reasonably quick. Yeah, the show's pretty breezy too, so. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. So, January the 15th, 1993. Um, and an angle was shot on December the 27th in Charlotte when Arn Anderson and Eric Watts got into a street fight in front of a 7-Eleven. Uh, um, they even had the Charlotte police participate since Doug Dillinger was a longtime member of the Charlotte force and they arrested Eric. This is a kayfabe arrest. I didn't get the full details, although it should appear on television within the next week, but I believe the storyline will go, will go something like Anderson was badly injured in the fight, which would explain his absence until returning in uh, April. Watts was arrested, but a Rodney King like videotape from a passerby will exonerate uh, Eric at one point, and I don't know if this will happen, Bill was going to fire Eric on television for being arrested before Eric Watts got exonerated. Uh, Anderson will receive a reported $1,500 fine per week to sit at home and sell the injury. Oh, no, sorry, not a fine. He's going to receive $1,500 a week to sit at home and sell the injury. Watts put on him, uh, and then will come in with a new contract at a rumored $750 per house show. Um have you seen any of this Watts on Anderson angle? Yeah, this is a, an interesting time where, uh, you know, arms without a contract. And uh, they, I, I really think they were trying to make Watts look tougher here. And if you watch this uh, brawl, which I can't remember if it's on Saturday night or not, but I watched it when I watched the 93 stuff. It's, it's a way to make Watts look tough kind of has a gritty, you know, street, you know, we just kind of happenstanced on upon this street brawl. That's the way it's sort of filmed. Um, you know, unsuccessful, of course, but I, I guess I, I don't know. Like if, if Eric Watts is going to be employed as long as his dad's in charge, is it that bad of an idea to put him with Arn? I mean, I know from our standpoint, it's like, I mean, Arn's just being wasted with this guy, but <laughs> I, I can see the thought process that, like, Bill had running the company. Well, Bobby Eaton is also going to return around the same time. Uh, Scotty, Fl- Scotty Flamingo uh, has a broken hand, but is still working. Um, I wish he would have stayed at home. Uh, oh. <laughs> Steve Austin uh, has worked out a new contract and is going probably going to be pushed as part of a regular tag team with Brian Pillman, which we will see on this show. Yeah. Uh, the houses, with the exception of Starcade, have been nothing to talk about over Christmas week. 
nothing doing more than 24k um, despite that it's traditionally the hottest week of the year to draw the shows themselves were among the best uh, here the Jacksonville St. Pete and Greensville were all excellent house shows uh, the only show of the week not listed um, was in Fort Myers and that drew less than 1,000 so less than 1,000 in Fort Myers not great no um, uh, there, were, there were a lot of fireworks this past week on the 9100 the, the, the 900 line Bill Watson, Steve Beverly ripped into Mark Madden, who wrote a parody that appeared in Pro Wrestling Torch. It has been commonplace for Watts to rip into newsletters because he apparently never learned how to take criticism, <laughs> only to dish it out, but never mentions them by name, although he broke that rule in this instance. I found Madden's piece one of the funniest things in a newsletter in a while. Have you read that? Uh, I don't know about this. I mean, this is sort of Madden's M.O. and calling people out so this one i mean i don't particularly recall so so they're saying i i guess i'm kind of confused there so madden and beverly were getting into it with each other or just madden and watts no no, no. um so watson beverly appeared on the 900 line to rip into oh okay, yeah okay yeah yeah so watson madden as we'll see probably in our next show when we get to the watts firing watson madden is a uh pretty kind of notorious rivalry and they were certainly spewing a lot of venom at each other uh right here and uh there's there's uh you know what madden madden's involvement and and uh, watts's firing is uh, i don't i don't think it can be understated i mean he sort of the he, he of course he claims he was the the main catalyst and I, I don't know if he was the actual kind of linchpin that caused it but I certainly think he had influence in bringing, you know, it to people at Turner's attention, the comments Watts had made racially when he did the torch talk and especially uh, in regards to Hank Aaron, somebody that was, you know, a big Turner guy from his Braves uh, affiliation and everything. So what happened in this piece that Madden, but basically Bill Watts and Eric Watts, along with Dusty and Dustin Rhodes, with the subject of the parody, which was built around a fictitious last TBS broadcast where each of them was trying for one last time to push their son. So you can imagine, you can imagine what, how that parody looked. Um, I realized some found one specific paragraph in bad taste where Eric was in a video and was crucified, but then made a comeback with a crawler on the screen. Eric Watts arising on the third day at an arena near you as a satire of one of Watts' videos that aired a few weeks previous. So basically making, like, Eric Watts the son of God, basically. Um, bad taste, Chad, in 1993. Yeah, I mean, just... I don't know. I've never really gotten Madden's humor when I've read his stuff. Um, I, I, I mean, I've never been a fan of snarky, smart humor anyway. Um, like, even back in the day, I didn't, so... You'll never find me snorting about this. Yeah, uh, and and this was kind of... The, the torch was sort of full of this around this time because you had Mitchell, too. Uh, Bruce Mitchell doing a bunch of that with his comics and all this stuff. It, ah. I mean, I, I, I still think the fandom is getting over that... getting over that kind of um, tone, I guess. Like, it's... Ta- I, even like it's taken this long to get over that, and I still think there's elements of it in the family. Oh yeah, you know? jump, jump, food dog from Dave, so he wasn't immune to it yeah. as well. So. 
Anyway, as far as Eric Watts goes, uh, Eric Bill Watts isn't the first promoter to overpush his son, and he won't be the last. No. <laughs> I'm thinking of Shane. <laughs> um, promoters have gone out of business because they couldn't see past their own blinders in pushing their own son. Eric Watts may become a good wrestler someday. He may not. The fact that Dustin Rhodes was overpushed during his career because of who his father was and is now a good wrestler. Nice to see uh, Dave finally recognize that. Um, and even the same happened with Dory and Terry Funk, uh, who, who became all-time legends. We can say that again, Dave. Right. Uh, this is not a defense, but the fact is that there have been some wrestlers with even less potential or less ability pushed harder in the past is also not a defense. I wonder who he's thinking of. Um, maybe, I, maybe, uh, Greg, Mike, Von, Greg Mike Von Eric. He may, he may be thinking of Ganya too, you know, Mike Graham. He has a pretty low opinion of Greg Ganya, but I, I would say Mike Von Eric's a real easy one to point to. Anyway, so there we go. Um, basically he's, he's actually leaping to Eric Watts. He says Eric Watts is taking an awful lot of personal heat that he doesn't deserve for anything he's done. It's a natural reaction based on the position he's been put in, but he still doesn't deserve it. Um, now, despite what I've just said, given the atrociousness of his performances, I'm inclined to say that he does deserve a little bit of it, just for being as terrible as he is. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's bad. It's it's kind of the thing where he wasn't ready for this position at this time. Who knows if he'd have been given more realistic expectations, if he ever could have been anything successful. I'd say probably not, but... Um, I, I would say but, but, just sort of the magnitude of everything, it's amplified. I want to say that any wrestler put on TV performing like that is going to get ripped by the fans. I think the fact that he's Bill Watts' son has just made it a little bit worse. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess I would say, like, um, I don't know, like like the Z-Man, you know. Is he that much worse than Z-Man? Yes. You think so? <laughs> There's a, who's that who's that fan uh, who loves the Z-Man Jay Tab he, he's popping somewhere <laughs> uh, I gave uh, Zank some praise um, anyway Paulie Dangerously Medusa did um, a five minute no winner matches all around the house shows they were said to be a lot more entertaining than the clash ending with Medusa wearing out a chair on him no word in any future plans for Dangerously. Yeah. So he's on the house shows, but he's not on the TV. No, yeah, we won't see. I mean, th this show really is uh, a good... <laughs> between this show and the next show, there's a lot of kind of out they go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. both promotions in 93, really. Right. Um, as we all, Well, as we'll come on to see, it's a time of real change. Yeah, I think. transitioning. Um, hard to believe they booked Christmas week with Sting versus Muta, Simmons versus Chono, and Vader and Rude and Steamboat and Douglas versus Liger and Sasaki as the headliners. Um, while all were quality matches on paper, none were built on IOTA on TV, and thus had no interest among the ticket-buying public. Uh, Rude got some publicity in Kathy Lee Gifford's best-selling book, I Can't Believe I Said That. The passage talked about an appearance by Rude when he was in WWF as her personal low point, um, <laughs> her, uh, as the personal low point of her TV show. In August of 1989, Rude was doing a guest uh, spot on the TV show doing his WWF shtick. I wanted to give her a kiss and actually chased her off the set while she was two months pregnant. She said her husband, Frank, was so upset that he ripped into the producer who booked Rude and said if anything like this happens again, she would quit the show. So there we go. <laughs> 
Do you still remember Kathy Lee Gifford? <laughs> yes. Uh, big, my uh, mom, who was a, a homemaker till I was uh, uh, about 10 or 12 years old, she, a uh, big, big fan of Regis and Kathy Lee, watched every morning and then watched her soap operas. Just, that just shows you what an amazing heat-seeking gimmick uh, Rude had because her husband was legit pissed off about it. <laughs> you know, Frank, he, he's an old uh, American football player, too. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. But from the stories I've heard, I reckon that would be quite the quite the fight, quite the shoot, because Rude was tough. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would take Rude in the fight, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> should have booked it for Mania, Frank Gifford versus Rude. <laughs> Um, the graphics and features, particularly on Battle Bowl and Sting Vader that run in the last few weeks were excellent. WWF also did an excellent feature for Rumble with Hart and Ramon um, uh, coming out on the TV set. So that's all we've got for the Jan 15. And then in the January 20th uh, um, one, which is the 10th anniversary of the newsletter, Chad. Um, so he st- must have started in 83. Yeah, that's cool. I, I they're think- quite halted. They're hard to get hold of those early. Yeah, games, I think right? the eighty-two year in review is actually like the first thing, but uh, yeah, if I remember correctly. So, so Dave has quite a long thing about you know thanking everybody and so on, which is quite nice. Um, and then not a huge amount because he actually reviews the clash on this very in this very newsletter. They even do the thumbs up and the thumbs down, so it's already aired. Um, and although no contract has been signed at the present time. It now appears that we are close to a sure thing that Ric Flair will start the WCW, most likely at Super Brawl 3 pay-per-view show, February the 21st. Does he come back on that show, Chad? Yeah, uh, commentary-wise, not wrestling. So, I don't believe Flair has received his written release from Titan Sports. However, as reported last week, it appears he and Vince McMahon have split on amicable terms. Apparently, the meeting between the two several weeks back wasn't so much McMahon wanting Flair to retire but explaining how he'd be used, which appears to be mainly to work semi-finals and third from the top, generally putting over younger talent, and the time is right. And unlike that uh, was reported last uh, week, uh, the time wasn't now for Flair to be given a front office position. So Flair cut a deal with the Bill with Bill Shaw of TBS for a return as a featured performer, and it does appear to be in a babyface role to have a natural feud with Barry Windham and eventually Vader. Which of course does happen. Just a quick word on so two things, Chad. First of all, do you think Vince was right to let go of Flair at this point after pretty much an amazing year? Um, you know, I mean, I think in the, from what I can recall, in the last month or two, all he's doing is putting over Bret Hart at house shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird that Vince, I guess, didn't want to hang on. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think we've ever really gotten a straight answer on this, you know, because Vince and Flair have had fallen outs over the years. But, I mean, Flair always seems to, you know, when he went to WWF, it was the best year of his career. You know, he, he has that kind of talking point or whatever to put over Vince, but... It, it does seem odd that, you know, it kind of went in and out, and it's not like he sort of jumped to what was perceived as this hot promotion. You know, I yeah. mean, he, uh, yeah, he's going back to his home territory, so to speak, but um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't really figure out the psychology, whether 
Flair just wanted to prove that he could do it in the WWF or or if he actually thought he'd gain what? more power in WCW with a Booker's role or whatever. But, I mean, he, if he agrees to become a performer, it, seem, it does seem odd from Vince's standpoint that he would just let him go uh, because, I mean, he was still wanting like Hogan. I mean, you know, as we see with WrestleMania 9, he goes right back to Hogan, which is asinine. <laughs> Well, yes, but if you, I mean, if you saw the business they were doing around that time, it's easy to see why. Um, in fact, I mean, we talk about this in an upcoming Letters from Kayfabe. We look at, um, another plug, sorry, Chad, but we, we actually look at uh, Bret Hart's title defences in that first reign. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, God, some of the people he's having title matches with are ridiculous. So, you know, we're, like, we're literally talking like Repo Man. Or yeah, Fast Skinner, two, Skinner. right, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So, um, it's, so I'm actually not surprised that you went back to the old trusty Hogan um, for one last one last Mary go Right, but know. why do you think he was so willing to just sort of give Flair up? I mean, because I think he could have definitely out-negotiated money-wise even now. I mean, yeah, he was I, gearing up for steroid trial. But. I, I think that in certain respects, Vince is not as ruthless as he's made out to be when it comes to, like, personal stuff. Like, for example... He just let Dusty go back and be the booker in 1990, if you remember. And he and he let him take Dustin with him. Yeah. And it wasn't be, like if he was a real dick, he he could have just said no, you, you can't have Dusty back. He's mine, or you know, tried to keep him. Uh, but he just let him go, and I think he understood that. You know, WCW was more important to Flair, and Flair was more important to WCW. So, yeah, just let him have it. Like I think that sometimes he's not just about burying the competition and that he does, you know, respect uh, the other company occasionally, like in moments like that. Because he's got some history of it, that he, of just kind of like letting people have deals that are advantageous to them. Um, and I think at this time they weren't at war as much as we might discuss uh, with some of the Smoky Mountain stuff. So, Yeah, as we'll see, I mean, I kind of wish Flair would have stuck uh, in WWF throughout 93 um, and then would have came back just for Starcade because I, d I don't think it's WCW run in 93 is all that impressive but we'll see if uh, my opinion of that holds out watching the shows again well this was the other question I wanted to ask you Chad have you actually missed I mean given that he and I counted this up because uh, ladies and gents I put the awards for where the big boys play back online they're all up fully up to date now uh for the start of 93 and i noted chad that you'd given flair worker of the night mvp at a grand total of 11 times so like more than 10 percent of all of our shows ever you've given him mvp did you actually miss him when he was gone yeah i, I, I mean i think because the shows we done have been generally good up to the you know the back half of 92 um, I, I don't think there's that big of a void there, you know? I mean, they had the Dangerous Alliance storyline that was able to sort of fill that void. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's been as big of a gap as you might have thought, especially watching something like Great American Bash 91. Yeah, but It's almost like in order to get revitalized, Flair needs to go away. And in order for the company to feel fresh, Flair needed to go away. But maybe now it's time for him to come back. Right. I don't know. But yeah, as we'll see, I don't think they did much to make him feel revitalized or fresh or what they do. But that'll hash out. Yep. 
Um, okay, so what else? From what can be gathered thus far, the headline matches for Super Brawl <laughs> will be Sting versus Vader in a non-title match billed as the White to Castle of Fear match, <laughs> which, contrary to the popular belief, is not a hamburger-eating contest, <laughs> um, which would definitely put uh, Sting in the position of being the underdog. <laughs> oh, uh, also, I mean, terrible joke, Dave. <laughs> uh, also, also, Great Muta versus Barry Windham for the NWA title, and the Obelisk the obvious speculation is that Wyndham would get it to lead into a Flair Wyndham program, uh, which does happen. Right. But there is a lot of politics involved, so it may not be as easy as be as snapping with one's fingers um, and figuring out the best course of action for this promotion. If uh, that is the battle plan and the Flair Wyndham feud erupts, the NWA title will overshadow the WCW title, and uh, they may as well eliminate the latter. That will be an interesting talking point while we have the two titles because I'm not convinced that does happen. I seem to remember the Flair Wyndham stuff feeling. I don't know. It seems more on how important the NWA title feels as the year goes on, I feel. Um, whichever title Flair holds is either put in a serious program challenging or will be the only world title that anybody cares about. Do you think that's true, Chad? No, I mean, I don't, I don't think it hashed out that way. I mean, maybe I could see that coming in, but <sighs> 93 to me may be one of the most weird years we look at par because I think as we'll see, there's some good, but there's also a lot of bad, and it's just sort of a weird time where, you know, we're going to have to sort of critique some of our favorites like Flair, uh, you know, like Rude and the feud with Flair and, it's it's sort of a weird circumstance where I do feel like something like Vader versus Davy Boy Smith uh, is, a, felt, is the hot yeah program, felt yeah. as bigger than Flair versus Rude, which sounds crazy, but yeah, well, I, I, I have some detailed thoughts coming up about Flair for the goal, but I'll, I'll save it until we uh, until it actually debuts. Right. You know? um, I presume uh, says Dave uh, they'll have a Smoky Mountain tag team title match with the Rock and Roll Express versus the Heavenly Bodies as well. Just judging from how everything was put together on television at the Clash, um, yeah, maybe we'll wait until we get to the segment. But um, I do want to talk about the Smoky Mountain deal as well mm-hmm. um, because you have the strange situation of them appearing both on WWF and WCW at the same time uh, in '93, which is very unusual. Um, basically unprecedented in history, isn't it? Well, I mean, not quite the same time. So, so that's sort of a deal with politics. Um, yeah, we'll get into that when we get to the segment, like what happened there, but. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break? Uh, and when we come back, we will review the Clash of the Champions 22. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. Placetobenation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place to Be Nation is Justin Rosero here. In addition to The Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Placetobenation.com. And we now offer them to you on two great feeds as well. On the Place to Be podcast feed, you can check out Scott Criscolo and me on The Mothership, The Place to Be podcast, with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with clotheslines and headlines, main event, Mission Indie Possible, in our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows, with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor Super Shows. Relive Wrestling's past with our 
monthly pay-per-view rewind series led by Ben Morse and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. We also have sports covered too with the Sports Lounge, the TJ McClune Show, and NBA Team Podcast. On our brand new PTB Pop Podcast feed, we offer great shows such as the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, Rank and File, Lucha Undead, as well as a veritable podcast heaven for comics fans with the hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, and Imaginary Stories. Subscribe to both feeds on iTunes and be sure to rate and leave feedback as well. All these shows are available on PlaySumation.com where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. Be sure to check out the right-hand side of the site for details on how to support the site when you shop at Amazon and download our free Place to Be Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks. We also want to thank our friends at Boneheads Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts and Scott Keats' blog of doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr as well. PlaySumation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is Parv, and I'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Only Place to Be Nation podcast network. That's the PWO PTBN podcast network, where you'll find a ton of in-depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zellner's one-two punch of Exile on Bad Street, and with David Bickenspan, a smash hit between the sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave, Goodwill Wrestling and the Reaction Shows with Good Old Will from Texas. we got This Week in Wrestling with my man Pete and Johnny Sorrow, Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston's Pro Wrestling Super Show, Tag Teams Back Again with Kelly and Marty Slees, and a ton of other great shows too. And of course, there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from down south called Chad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. Well, yes, uh, listen to all those great shows. And, of course, my new show, Letters from K-Fag. Yeah. You, you're dropping those uh, shill bombs left, right and centre here. <laughs> um, so, uh, let's get into tonight's show. Um, and uh, Chad, Jesse Ventura is wearing a beautiful jacket. <laughs> how, I mean, huh? how lovely is this? Yeah, that, that. You didn't think this was, uh, he looked a little dated here? This looked like an 80s get-up to me. I think there were shades of, uh, I actually think this may be the inspiration for the for the lovely uh, white number that DVRC wears a lot. In oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> yeah, well, your two love affairs collaborating on wardrobe here. On the same uh, ticket, right next to him, Jim Ross's tie is absolutely hideous. Yeah, now this, this this was definitely 1993. <laughs> it looked like it had what balloons on it. I don't know what that was. It's the horrible tie that you know, comedy tie that like the Office Joker might wear. You know. <laughs> anyway, they uh, throw straight over to Tony, who is with Cowboy Bill Watts, and um, right, we get into some pretty convoluted stuff here yeah. because. Uh, well, first of all, Bill Watts mentions that last time he was in Milwaukee, he was tagging with the Crusher against Harley Race and uh, Larry the Axe Hennig, and uh, also that Rhodes and Dick Murdoch were a tag team. And I did have a little dig around to see like what time frame he could have been talking about. Seems to be about 1968, 1969 for the AWA, uh, Chad. It seems like uh, he was uh, Bill Watts was feeding with Harley Race all across 69, so... Hmm. Um, I, I think that might be some interesting stuff to see. I, you don't really see any 60s uh, AWA much. No. Really, do you? 
When, when was that Garnier me- metric stuff from? That was from the sixties. Yeah, that was. I, I would love to see more Vern. I mean, I think I think Vern's someone that the footage is really uh, that came out of his like his Chicago stuff is uh, painted him in a really good light as a baby face. I, I, if there was any footage of the race hen, because they're allegedly tag team. Yeah, race them hen. too. I mean, I, I thought uh, we. I mean, by the the footage we've seen of Larry the Axe, he's so kind of. I mean, he's he's older and I, I guess more robotic would be how I yeah. describe it. Just sort of rigid the way he works. Well, the the only footage of race Hennig is from a um, real world tag league in like eighty one. I think right, they come in. Yeah. Uh, but they're obviously long yeah. gone by that point. Um, Rhodes and Murdoch too. There's not a lot of them out no, there. No, yeah, the hardly any. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that was an interesting little thing. I mean, I wonder how many of the audience knew what what he was talking about there. Probably just the old men. Yeah, probably not much. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, Van Hammer is injured, uh, starting oh. a complete shit show of a of a set of decisions here. So basically. Um, for the arm wrestling contest, that there's been a tournament going on, and Van Hammer reached the final against Tony Atlas, but Van Hammer's been injured, so he's going to be replaced with Vinny Vegas, who's already been eliminated, but is left-handed, so he's going to face Tony Atlas left-handed. What the hell? Can you explain any of this to me, Chad? No. Well, and I mean, wasn't Hammer supposed to wrestle too in the main event? Yes. Oh, yes. He was also meant to be in the Thunder Right, Cave. which that is even more idiotic. Oh, it's just. I mean, why wouldn't they? Why would they sub him in the tournament and not sub him in the in the Thunder I, Cave? I don't know what happened here. I was wondering if there was something else. Let, let me let me just uh, see if Meltzer mentions it in his actual review of the show. Because this uh, this is another. There's, there's a there's a lot of weird stuff. That yeah, this, this, and this is another one of these shows where you know I may have watched it in full at some point in my lifetime, but if I did, I didn't recall it. You know, I mean, this was this is another one of these kind of obscure clashes that I don't think a little you, bit under the radar. Yeah, you don't hear much about, and I, I certainly hadn't seen it in years if I had watched it before in full. This particular newsletter is ridiculous. It's like 71 pages long. <laughs> what, what was I mean? I know he was away for a week, but what was he doing uh, in 1990? Uh, in January '93. I mean, come on, Dave. Um, yeah, it's because there's the awards that are released that. Oh uh, yeah, month, yeah, yeah. As well, so I'm trying to. Anyway, um, what else happens here? If anybody mm. knows that there was more to this before them, I mean, if this was this them trying to build up hammer or i mean i mean i guess i see how it was used for cactus in the main event but i i i kind of didn't get why hammer was even involved to begin with like he it's not like he was receiving this super push when we saw him at starcade so so i don't know what happened here no okay and i i I literally cannot find a show review in the 71 pages. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too big. Lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe I'll have a look for that when you're talking in a bit. Um, so anyway, in other news, Eric Watts has been suspended yes. uh, after this brawl that he had with Arn Anderson. And um, we actually get a promo from Eric Watts, which is just about as good as his wrestling, Chad. <laughs> I thought it was legit. The, one of the worst promos I've ever seen. What did you think? Yeah, it was bad. Um, 
Now, now his shirt, I, I don't know how to describe it. it. It's it's like a silk shirt, but it has like little pictures of multicolored shirts on the shirt. It, it was hideous. I, I would recommend anybody to watch this just to see how bad the promo is and how bad the shirt is. I mean, it, it is the ugliest fucking shirt I've ever seen in my life. And that... It was so bad. Uh, and the promo was awful, too. I mean, just stumbling over his words, uh, no natural charisma, you know, not thinking well on his feet or projecting his thoughts well at all. Uh, just, a, just a train wreck. I mean, I mean, it was bad. I, I, I think this may be as bad as, like, some of his botches, really, because, I mean, all he had to do here was kind of a 30-second promo just getting his point across and he failed miserably all right i found uh i found Meltzer's review now so i'll, I'll give you some stuff but uh i i did i did think again that eric watts does look a bit like old uh erwin arshyster like rotunda a little bit yeah he kind of like, does here i would say yeah like kind of varsity club uh, rotunda yeah uh well i'm just saying Meltzer doesn't seem to have any news about the van hammer deal okay um that i can see he does uh, really criticise Bill Watts, though. Uh, he says the show opened with Bill Watts, who, who was who was obviously booed. I didn't hear that, did you? No, I mean, not <laughs> um, obviously. Watts talked about teaming with Crusher in Milwaukee, who was the biggest draw in the city for years, against Larry Hennig and Harley Race in his last appearance. And that was when Ric Flair was breaking in. This is what uh, Meltzer says. The chronology is way off. Since Hennig and Race teamed regularly around 1968, I'd be pretty sure that Watts stayed in the AWA as a regular for a few years after. Basically, um, Flair didn't break in until December of 72. This sure dated Watts because most people think of Flair breaking in as being really ancient history, since any 30-year-old would remember Flair on top when they were a teenager, and someone 25 would remember Flair on top probably for the first time they ever saw a wrestling show. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, they then started talking about an incident and never actually told anyone what it was. That's why you need an observer to follow this promotion, so you would at least know the angle, because most viewers would be really Man, confused. He's, so. he's, uh, <laughs> sounds like he's shilling letters for kayfabe. Been the observer there. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not very... Uh, Meltz is not very happy at Watts here in this opening, because uh, Flair wasn't in the promotion when they were feuding with uh, with uh, Race and Hennig. Wow. So there we go. There we go. Um, so I guess Hammer yes. was just a patsy then that they just moved out to do the catch not, Jack thing. Not explained, which makes this whole deal even more confusing as we'll get on to because uh, the whole Thunder Cage booking is completely baffling to me, Chad. I'll just say it right now. Um, anyway, so from this, we go to our first match, which is uh, Cactus Jack, and he was going to take on Eric Watts. But instead takes on Johnny B. Bad. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. And Bill tells him to hook him up. So we did get that. Yeah. Let's hook him <laughs> up. Let's hook him up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's becoming like the yeah, yeah, yeah of 1992 and three here. I don't, we won't hear it again. So I did enjoy that uh, we got one final hook him up from Cowboy Bill. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess like, this I, is the last time we see Watts. So there's that. 
And JR. We didn't mention that at the top, but this, yeah, well, this I, is it. I have scheduled some time to talk about JR. Oh, again. okay. Well, one, so. one more burial for Parv on where the big boys <laughs> <laughs> Um So, what did you think of it? So, this also is a bit confusing because. It seemed like on commentary, Jesse was teasing a bit of a face turn. Yeah, that was my first note that you could tell Jesse was already kind of foreshadowing the Jack face turn. Um, You know, I'll give Jesse credit in the way he did that, though, that I like that because he kind of put it on the fans, you know, which I thought was kind of clever. He's like, oh, you know, this guy's crazy and the fans are cheering for him. What does that say about them? You know, so I I like that. there wasn't much to this match. I thought it was really quick. I mean, it probably only got like three or four minutes, but while it was happening, um, there was some pretty good action, quick pace, punches. I thought Bad's punches looked good. Uh, Bad goes for like a sunset flip off the top rope, and Jack moves out of the way, so he takes a bump onto the mat, and then uh, Cactus immediately follows up with a quick elbow and pins him. So uh, this was entertaining while it lasted, but again, like only three minutes long, went a star and a half. Thought it really kind of made Johnny B. Bad look like he's pretty much in jobber territory now, though. Yeah, a little bit surprising that Bad is uh, kind of like <clears throat> suffering this deep push because he, he was quite hot for a while. Right. And I feel like he will be hotter again later, but it, this is like a little kind of lull, I guess. Yeah, like him, him him turning babyface doesn't seem to have been the best career move right now. Uh, my review goes just a match, star and a half. Yeah, so well, there you go. <laughs> uh, now on to a much, much more interesting topic, Chad. <laughs> the Too Cold Scorpio skit featuring basketball... And him um, basically making a group of young youths go to school via the art of stepping. Um, I thought this was incredible. What did you think? Yeah, this is one, I would say this is kind of one of the more iconic videos of WCW from this time. But actually, in my, I mean, it's funny and cheesy, but I would say it's more successful than like the Cheatham the Midget stuff, where it's not just like comedically bad. Um I was actually, I thought it was quite good. Yeah, I thought this was kind of entertaining in a way to see Scorpio look sort of hip and with the kids. And you, of course, get his uh, famous song, the, ah, here comes Too Cold Scorpio, you know, with him dancing and all that. Uh, so so an entertaining video, for sure. I, I actually thought that uh, the Too Cold song was actually quite good. Oh, well. yeah, I, I love that song, actually. I could listen to that song just, uh, like, on Spotify in a regular playlist. Yeah, I mean, it was quite interesting. Uh, I've been, uh, like, uh, trying to book, um, <laughs> trying to book, like, the a- the AWA in 1991, Chad. And uh, one of my big, I, I've just uh, debuted a, a group known as the uh, the Boombox Brothers, Um led by Butch Reed, who were, who were, like, kind of with ghetto blasters and, like, rap and things. And Too Cold is part of that group. And I actually thought, oh, it's interesting. They did actually push him like that. Because he was kind of like, he was kind of like, uh, you know, a bit of a jive soul bro here, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think this is certainly, you know, 1993, Atlanta, center stage. Um, yeah, this, this sort of fit the time frame where you saw how Scorpio got over with that crowd. Uh, because, cause, I mean, yeah, here he looks like somebody like an Andre Ryzen or somebody that was big in the city at the time. Um, yeah. Fit the style, had the dance moves, had a kind of, you know, a jamming song, had the ladies by him. 
had had the package. I I do like the idea of Two Cold Scorpio as a kind of nineteen ninety three rap version of the Pied Piper, <clears throat> right. making kids like because they were all following him in step, weren't they? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, he has a match now against Scotty Flamingo with his bad hand. Um, uh, yeah, like what the, do you make of this? We should say the video kind of segues right to him, you know, in the ring coming out, Ooh, too. Did you see Capetta? Capetta see was Capetta? dancing a little bit, <laughs> yeah. which I made a note of. Yeah, Capetta was grooving a bit with the two chord Scopio uh, theme, <laughs> which was highly hilarious to watch. I, I think they missed a trick not getting a, not giving SD Jones a manager spot here. He could have been part of this. SD Jones. <laughs> Come on. Uh, he was probably working Herb Abrams in, in uh, 93, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, or actually, a uh, little bit of a tip bit, folks. SD Jones, Special Delivery Jones, I believe at this point it was delivering newspapers with Dominic Danucci and the Baron. Um, did, you know he, did, did you know he did that? No. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they, they all ended up, no, all of those uh, old WF guys ended up working around um, Philadelphia mail service because um it paid a proper pension paid like a state pension so they worked it for a few years in order to get a proper pension so there we go um uh two gold scorpio now against flamingo so what did you make of this uh this is really late for scotty flamingo i i'd forgotten he was even in here um I, I thought the wrestling to start was pretty good with Scort dominating. Um, I did think there was a little bit of an awkward spot where Scorpio hit kind of a front kick that sent Flamingo to the outside. It looked like they sort of, I don't know, like Flamingo wasn't able to base and be in the right position all the way for Scorpio's uh, aerial, some of his aerial moves, which, I, I mean, I don't know who to blame there. I mean, Scorpio definitely has kind of state-of-the-art offense for 1993, but a lot of it can look a hit points. Um, now, Scorpio hit Flamingo with a forearm from the apron. He get, uh, Flamingo, I thought, got a really nice drop kick that sent Scorpio to the outside to churn the tide. And then uh, Flamingo did a Pescado to the outside, and I was marking out for that. Uh, hits a suplex, slows things down with a chin lock. And uh, then Scorpio makes his big comeback, hits his reverse crossbody dive, uh, twisting leg drop in the 450 for the win. So this was another short match, but I thought it was enjoyable while it lasted. I gave it two and a half stars. Um, I, what, I enjoyed what was that, it. What was that move that you just said? A Piscata? Piscata. Basically, he just sort of dived <laughs> over the top rope and did a crossbody without touching the ropes. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you? Must you like that uh, TNA guy? What's his name again? Uh, Mike Tanay. Or basically the Mike Tanay. <laughs> um, I'll have to bring you in for all the Scorpio matches. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, well, I, I can't think of, you know, you're like uh, the Cal Rudman bringing up Special Delivery Jones and all this shit on a 1993 review. <laughs> or, or, or like Bill Watts himself. Yeah, you know, Bill right? Watts talking about 1968 or whatever. <laughs> um, well, basically, uh, yeah, two stars. I mean, I thought Scorpio looked good here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all just about getting over his flashy offense. Um, Meltzer gave it two and a quarter. Um, he did say that he mistimed a Lucha Libre high spot. Um, so there we go. I don't, I don't but, know what uh, that was. 
spectacular exhibition, he called it. Um, and he also gave Bad and Jack one star. Yeah, so. there you go. Uh, next, uh, this is interesting. We have... Um, oh, first of all, we have uh, Orndorff is on Vader's team as a sub for Rude. Right. And as another interesting letters from Gay Fish. Salt tip bitch. Um, this is quite interesting because Rude was the sub for Orndorff in the Heenan family in 1987. Did you know that? <laughs> so uh, this is a like history of kind of repeating itself in reverse here. <laughs> um, and uh, yes. Um, and now he has to face Kang. So basically in this angle, race was basically putting a spot on Vader's team up for grabs. Right, yeah, this is a cool angle to watch play out. They had some matches on main event, um, interesting stuff. So yeah, Race basically presented it as, you know, there's a spot open. Um, so so he held tryouts, but it's the old, you know, additive where he knows who he's going to pick. It was just kind of a, a, a ruse for Cactus Jack, you know, to get at him. Um, so ostensibly they have a heel versus heel match right um and i've just written here this has to be a face turn for cactus right Right. and indeed it was um race comes in dropping the mighty knee in 1993 (laughs) (laughs) um and uh did you see him at one point he was considering going up on the top rope and then he thought better of it (laughs) (laughs) and uh they he let vader do it instead so nice to see where races races instincts are still to go to the top rope right um, and then Cactus comes back with a shovel. Um, yeah, like, that, like, that was played off in the um, the feud too, all main event. The shovel was used. Uh, so that's kind of, I guess, become like the weapon of choice for Cactus. Now, one weird bit of booking is how he then faced Johnny B. Bad on this show. Just seemed like... Like, if he's just done that, why is he still facing faces? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, that was kind of odd. I, I, you would have thought they could have brought somebody else out for that. Okay, so going on now to, um, I've written here, Bob Armstrong. It's not, it's Brad Armstrong <laughs> uh, taking on uh, Chris Benoit. Um, but Ross does mention Bob Armstrong uh, being the commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling here. Right. And um, this is interesting. And I promise, Chad, this will be the, my final plug. We do have a bit on letters from Kay Fabian coming up on Vince talking about Smoky Mountain in 93. Um, but what do you think of Smoky Mountain being involved with WCW in whatever way in, at this time? So so this was an interesting deal. Um, I don't know when they showed up on Saturday night. I think it's after this. I'm pretty sure. It's after this clash, like a week or two later. But, you know, they show up where Cornette shows up on uh, center stage. Just a great angle. Um, Really hectic, kind of frantic feeling to it. And then Watts is gone. So pretty much that's it. Because that was their, like, connection into the company with the working relationship. It nixes the deal? Yeah. So after after that, I mean, they do appear at Super Brawl and have their match when Watts is out. But, uh... That's kind of the end of the road. So so it's a really brief thing, but something that I think could have led to really nice crossover. And two companies that probably, you know, w, whether WCW didn't want to admit it at the time or not, but they were closer together from uh, a live gate perspective than they want to, you know, than really they should have been given WCW's national TV reach. Uh, so probably overall the companies were never... 
um, I guess, as equal to each other as they were at this point. So them working together kind of makes sense. I just think it's wild that Smoky Mountain, this Smoky Mountain thing led to the Heavenly Bodies being on WCW TV and on WWF TV in the same year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because essentially later, yeah, I mean, later on down in the year, they start working with WWF and that, 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 uh, even carries over into 94, well into 94, like when the bodies lose to Rock and Roll Express and Dr. Tom works for WWF during that time. You know, I can uh, another bit of a spoiler, but when we talk about this on uh, on that other show that I do, um, I I do mention that when I was a kid, I hated seeing these guys on WWF TV. Like I just thought they just seemed rinky dink. They just seemed complete. Like I just resented the heavenly bodies even existing. Um, I'm I'm imagining as a Georgia boy, you may have a, di- a different reaction. Yeah, no, I, I didn't have any aversion to them, but. Um... But by this point in time, you know, in 93, 94, I was entrenched with wrestling and becoming more aware. So, you know, this was right around the time I posted a picture a couple months ago of me on Twitter where I met the Rock and Roll Express. So uh, this would have been kind of around that time, maybe a little bit later. But, you know, same time period where I didn't see these guys as, you know, rinky-dink or substandard or over the hill. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't. I mean, as a kid, I probably didn't like at, the, at that time. I wouldn't have known who the Rock and Roll Express were, for example. <clears throat> right. Because I like I'd seen Ricky Morton on as part of the York Foundation, but I obviously hadn't seen them as the Rock and Rolls um, at that point. So it was kind of like I don't know. They just seemed very jobberific to me. But uh, I don't know. Um, why don't we move to uh, looking at this uh, Armstrong versus Benoit match then? Um, what did you make of this? It's our kind of first look at Benoit in a singles match. Right. Um, so he's wearing his zebra tights, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, nice rolling arm drag by Brad. Uh, I thought the first sequence was indie-rific, but they kind of didn't do the, uh, you know, the thing where they stare at each other. Uh, Armstrong locked in an arm bar, which I liked. Um, I thought that was really good in showing the athleticism of both men. We got a uh, knuckle lock um, that Armstrong executes. Benoit bridges up and reverses it. A nice battle on the apron where Benoit hits a headbutt and then a crossbody to the outside. Um, I mean, I guess we'll see this with most Benoit matches, but, I mean, he really does use the headbutt a lot in this match, which, knowing what happens later on down the road, it's kind of, I guess it left me a little squeamish to watch. I, I usually don't, you know, I can kind of separate what happened with Benoit, but I, ju- I just noticed in watching this yesterday that, man, he was using the headbutt a lot. I mean, he hits it, and it's kind of a cutoff move, and then he misses the diving headbutt. The crowd comes alive with that. Um, Armstrong hits a snapmare and an elbow for a near fall, and then Benoit hits a absolutely beautiful kind of dragon suplex, that sort of like a snap dragon suplex, actually. He executed it so quickly and so kind of out of nowhere and popped the crowd huge. He wins. I I like this match a good bit. I mean, nine minutes, a showcase match from Benoit. Um, I I know just based on what you said in our chat, I guess you were sort of bored by Brad here. But I I thought he was a good base for Benoit and kind of let Benoit execute and have the uh, showcase 
moves, which sort of was his job. So I went three stars here. I enjoyed this one a good deal. Well, I also gave it three stars, Chad. I did think Brad Armstrong was bloody boring. I mean, his arm work is so dull. Every Brad, every Brad Armstrong match I've ever seen goes like this. He's so boring on top, Chad. What's he doing? I, like, I don't know, but I, I kind of liked it here. I guess I, I don't. I mean, it was basic for sure, but the armbar and the knuckle lock—it sort of—I guess it worked uh, for me here. I thought the match really took off when Benoit, Benoit took over on off, offense. <laughs> Snap suplex, amazing. Benoit looked absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, JR creamed himself with that full Nelson suplex. Oh, yeah. that was, I mean, that was you could literally hear him. Like, he was orgasmic, wasn't he? That, that looked uh, excellent. I mean, that was just a great spot. But, you know, I'm glad to... But you can, you can see, like, why guys like Benoit and Scorpio would be standing yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah. Benoit and Scorpio on this show both look like stars of the future, for sure. I, I actually thought the way Jesse played this on commentary was interesting, too. Where he was saying, like, you know, these young guys, that one of them is looking to step up, and this match may decide how their careers go, and all this sort of thing. Sure. I actually thought it was really inter- insightful, actually. Because <laughs> uh, considering <laughs> what happens to Brad and what happens to Benoit after this point. Oh, so. boy. No? Well. <laughs> I just thought it was good. It was, yeah, good. It was fine. a good way it's to build. It's fine psychology to say that, like, these are two young guys meeting in the road. Whoever wins gets more opportunity going forward. But... So there's more more Smoky Mountain talk now um, with a type for Rock and Roll Express versus the Heavenly Bodies, which is clearly like the featured match that they took on the road. Yes. Um, And they also hype up Bob Armstrong quite a lot. Now, do you think that's because they think he'd be known to the Atlanta? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and he was doing so well in that commissioner role that um, I, I think it's kind of a combination probably of both, but he should be recognized by the uh, Southeast audience. Do you, do you think that uh, Bob Armstrong should be um, given some credit for popularizing the commissioner role in wrestling? Cause uh, the authority figure has become such a big, big part of uh, the landscape now. I, I mean, I think him and Eddie Marlin and Memphis both played it well um, yeah. around this time. So both of them did it well. Okay. Armstrong's probably the best, though. Better than Jack Tunney? Yeah, a little bit better than Jack Tunney, making his ruling oh. from his desk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we go to the arm wrestling contest between uh, Tony Atlas and Vinny Vegas. Always a good hype segment, and uh, I will say, if you uh, if you ever want to see a really good arm wrestling contest in wrestling, uh, Ivan Putski versus Ventura. Probably one of Ivan Putski's best matches, isn't it? Uh, is it is it versus uh, Ventura? Or is it versus Patera? I can't remember now. Uh, have you seen that? Putski's, Kat, the... Putski's in it. Putski, it's, it's uh, Putski I, I, and Jesse. I think it's for Jesse in '81. Um, yeah, '81. It's Putski and Jesse. So, I mean, I don't understand. If I was Tony Atlas, I'd be so pissed off here. One, he doesn't get to face the guy he was going to face. Two, Vinny Vegas is brought in, even though he's already been defeated. And three now that he has to face him left-handed when uh, Vegas is a left-hander. Like, talk about being screwed by the office. <laughs> Tony Atlas, though. <laughs> um, I thought his insane overacting were quite fun. Oh, I, I love this. I actually thought this was, like, legitimately good. I, I don't... This came out of nowhere, but, like, I, I actually thought, like, 
in watching Vinny Vegas during this, you kind of saw some of the charisma that would propel him to where when he went to WWF, you could see, oh, we may have something here. You know, I mean, like, sure, his facials are probably like 15% too goofy, but uh, I, I was kind of blown away at how much I liked this. And I thought they did a pretty good job making it look legit you know i mean who knows i mean i don't think it was but but they, they probably they did a good job in actually making it look like they were really arm wrestling each other or whatever yeah well no, i know it was fairly effective um i mean i mean it didn't lead to nothing but for a five minute segment i was enjoyed i, enjoyed I was it. atlas's arm was so much bigger than uh Vinny's, Vegas's. Yeah. yeah um so Anyway, I couldn't believe he had to do a left-handed job here. So. <laughs> yeah, if he wins, and then cuts a promo afterwards. Um, okay, so that was fun. It was probably worth seeing if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, of course, Jesse in the wonderful suit. Uh, Wrecking Crew now. Versus, so Wrecking Crew is Fury and Rage. Right. Uh, taking on the Z-Man, the Z-Man, as I like to call him. Um, and his new partner, Johnny Gunn, who seems to be a complete clone of Zenk, uh, but in fact is the chap who later goes on to become Salvatore Sincere. Correct. The second best wrestler ever called Salvatore. After. Oh, God. I'm so <laughs> sad that this podcast has devolved into a commercial for your other podcast. <laughs> What the hell has happened here, man? Sal Salvalomo. Oh Lord, this is... we haven't we haven't talked about him yet. Oh my God, this is just like I feel like I'm talking to like my grandfather that every conversation goes back to back in my day. It's just Wait, what you genuinely think that? Uh, it's, no, it's but why does why Salvatore Balamo get out of here? What's the matter? Did you see it? Have you seen him in '93? Yes, I've seen his ECW stuff. He sucks then, like he sucked when he was making his little boat in a bottle. <laughs> okay, so uh, what did you make of this uh, match? Uh, well, I mean, teams? yeah, I, I mean, this wasn't good, but it's quick, and for these four guys, I, I mean, I still didn't think this was atrocious. So I guess that's a win. It's it's really just, a, I mean, I didn't have any notes. I thought Z-Man hit a decent plancha on the outside. Plancha par, there's another word. Um, basic match with Wrecking Crew winning. I thought Wrecking Crew's um, finisher looked pretty good. Where one guy's lifted up, the other guy comes off the middle rope with the axe handle. Kind of like a little bit of a decapitation. Uh, now Al Green, who is Rage, I thought he looked rough running the ropes at one point. That did look bad, where he yep. got crossed up. So uh, he he didn't impress me there. But you know, overall, I want another star and a half. Pretty basic yeah. vanilla match. Well, I gave this two stars. Uh, I was glad to see Zenk in a losing effort. Um, I thought uh, that Fury, that was Mark Laurinaitis, yes. uh, looked pretty good with all the power moves. Good range of backbreakers and slams. Uh, Al Green, not so much. No. Um, so that was my thought. I actually thought he looked surprisingly good. Um, you could kind of tell he was Animal's brother, I thought. Yeah, uh, in, yeah. In the way he was moving. So 
And in fact, uh, I, I listened to quite a good interview with uh, him the other day, Animal, on um, on the Ric Flair show, I want to say, um, where he was, uh, yeah, he seemed like quite a nice guy. Um, so they're an interesting family, really, the Laurenitises, aren't they? The th- like, if you think that him, Johnny Ace, and Animal were brothers, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Right. Really um, an athletic but, family, though. I mean, because then you got uh, Animal's son, James, who was a linebacker. Um, yeah. I mean, what athletic pedigree in that family, for sure. Uh, Meltzer also went two and a quarter, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, um, oh, so, yeah. He so didn't, he ranked that as high as the Flamingo Scorpio match, though? That doesn't seem yeah, right. Same same rating. I, I don't um, know that. He, he also... Um, he also says, uh, trivia note, Fury and Zenk were tag team partners in the 1987 All Japan Tag Team Tournament. So there we go. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. Who does he work as, uh, Fury in All Japan? I haven't seen I had probably just Mark Laurinaitis, I would assume. Yeah. I, don't, I don't recall uh, seeing him. Yeah, around. but this is, I mean, that's when... I mean, I I would think the stuff we've seen from that is only uh, the big names, you know, mm-hmm. like '87. It's you know, uh, Yatsu and uh, yeah, Yopo that's right. and Tenru and whoever. '87 uh, is also the Wajima year, so it's pretty light in all Japan too. That's kind of the weakest. I'd say '87 is the weakest all Japan year from '86 onward. You, you can have quite a lot of fun um, seeking out random. Old Japan tag matches that happen over the years, like on the undercar that you'd never think exist. Yeah. So, uh, Zenk has actually got one of his better matches uh, in Old Japan against the Funks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. Um, yes, uh, he didn't like the arm wrestling match, but Meltzer, um, he, uh, you know, he said, "What was exactly was the purpose of this? To begin a Van Hammer versus Vinny Vegas feud?" So, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's got a point there. Like I said, I mean, it didn't lead to nowhere, but. <laughs> um, next came a bizarre series of interviews, says Meltzer. <laughs> Sting accepted the hamburger eating contest against Vader. Oh, God, I, I he's mean, still pushing this. I mean, the White Castle of Fear Challenge. So, yeah, he's still pushing his uh, joke there. Um, let's have a look at uh, some of these uh, interviews now. Larry uh, Zabisco is an interviewer. Well, we forgot to mention yeah, this. Sir. And he's with Pillman and Austin. Yeah. Good uh, transition for Larry to become the interview guy here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I thought he did well in this role. Um, you know, could add in a little flavor. I, I liked him here. Um, and he's with uh, Brian Pillman and Steve Austin and now going to tag together. I don't think they call each other the Hollywood Blondes yet. No, not yet. Um, I actually think it's kind of like a month or so in like early March before they started doing like the camera stuff, like Austin, you know, when he'd come to the ring would do like where he was rolling the footage, uh, that little mannerism he did. So not, not the blondes yet, but yeah, the blondes essentially zero mic time for Austin. <clears throat> noted. Right. Hellman <laughs> did all the talking. Um, and Austin just had like that one look and he just had to do it for like the whole two minutes, like the same smile. <laughs> Uh, so that was a bit awkward. Um, lots of ads for Slam Jam Volume 1 on this particular yes. show. Yeah, we got Rude's music. Uh, it's probably a pretty good album, actually, of sort of your more iconic WCW themes. What, what was that rap track they played? I tried to find that, but I couldn't uh, notice. It sounded quite good. I didn't notice that. I only noticed the Rude song on the promo. 
Yeah, you know, the very first time it was a, it was a rap track, mm. and I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. Um, uh, so Larry Zbysko now is with Vader, Paul Orndorff, Barry Windham, Barbarian, and Harley Race. And then Harley Race cuts a promo and then randomly fires Barbarian, right. who takes a pile driver on the floor from Orndorff, which looked pretty cool. And then they just beat him down. Why? Completely mental. <laughs> like, what What the f- what? What's going on here now? I mean, <laughs> like, uh, Race has just decided to go crazy yeah, and just eliminate one of his team. Well, I thought Orndorff looked jacked, too. Um, yeah, he does. I, 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 Race got a lot of airtime on this show. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't understand. This I, I was I was miffed by this. I, I didn't. Again, this was another like Van Hammer in the main event. Um, you know, I watched the yearbook for this stuff, but otherwise, I'm not that familiar with what was going on. You know, I, I, this is something I don't like vividly recall from when I was a kid. So I I, I didn't understand this or. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know if anybody else can add some, I guess, commentary to it. But from where I sit on this show, it felt pretty abrupt and random. Yeah, Melter's not happy about how illogical it is as well. Um, He says, um, uh, this wouldn't have been as bad except, one, they'd already turned too many people and why Barbarian? Two, they were doing almost this exact same angle later in the show, which we'll get to. Right. Three, the heels had a four and three advantage and then eliminated someone on their own team to make the sides even. Doing that made no sense, even in the illogical world of WCW. And then he says, Harley is one of the greatest of all time, but he's not going to make it as a lead manager. He reminds me too much of the Mid-South when they kept on pushing Skandar Akbar as the lead manager. He was reliable. He knew how to do his job, but his act was stale and his charges became run-of-the-mill heels because of it, although Vader isn't in any danger of that. Do you agree with Meltzer's assessment there that Harley will never make it as a lead manager? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think. I guess something about him, he feels almost too tough in some ways to be a good heel manager. You know what I mean? Like Gruff. Yeah, it's like with your heel managers, your top ones, and maybe this is just my WWF wins, but you think of Bobby Heenan or even, you know, somebody like, Freddie Blassie that was tough and gruff at one point when he wrestled, but then became more, you know, the Hollywood flash and play, that type of charismatic character. Um, race isn't that, so it's it's a it's a different context. Especially when he drops the knee whenever he possibly can. Right, right. <laughs> bumping, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, he almost looks like, uh, I mean, he looks like the older Cactus Jack in a lot of ways. I mean, it's like this is what Cactus is going to be in 10 years. One one other note before we move <clears> on. <throat> Remind me when Barry Windham returned heel, turned heel, because I don't. Uh, that was the last clash when they lost the titles. Remember, he rushed. Oh, the- yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. With, with, uh, with that chair yeah, shot. Yeah. 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 fantastic chair shot too okay now we get a bizarre thing well not that bizarre they 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 show highlights from the first two super brawls but not like yeah like a long highlights of the first two not a bad package but necessary here no yeah this this is one of those things where like yeah this was cool to see these clips and i but but this felt like the most generic marketing of a pay-per-view i'd ever seen where it was like oh well super Bowl three is coming up you know, here's what happened on the last two. I mean, it, it was just 
odd where at first I thought they were actually like promoting Super Pro 1's video, which I thought was completely asinine. Um, what about hyping like the hot angles that are going yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, they show Missy in the locker room with Stan Hansen. I mean, that's somebody that hasn't been in the promotion since that time. So, you know, almost two that. years. Uh, Flair, Fujinami. It, it, I thought this was odd. I mean, you know, of course, like when WWE does that now, they'll show clips of past WrestleMania, SummerSlams, whatever, but it it's all about, oh, this is the pageantry and the lineage and stuff like that. This seemed to be more in the vein of, hey, all this stuff happened in these past two shows, so check out this next show that's going to be completely different stuff. Uh, it, it didn't feel like a successful hype job at all to me. Okay, um, now it's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and his young ward, Dick Grayson, Shane Douglas, taking on uh, st- stunning Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. <laughs> uh, did you see the This Is Crusher Country in sign? In the I did not, I missed that. <laughs> there is a big, um, on a dock uh, matrix printer, there is a This Is Country crusher country sign in the background so somebody Uh, somebody was happy when watts name dropped him uh what did you make of this man oh so a hot start with austin and steamer firing off douglas comes in they clear house for the shine sequence um you know we've said it it's a broken record but i love steamboat's character at this time because you know austin does the thing where he acts like he's gonna shake his hand you know steamboat doesn't fall for that at all not a dumb baby face here. Uh, Pillman comes in and hits some sick chops on Steamboat. Uh, Steamboat's able to reverse the tide with an arm drag. Then Douglas comes in. Uh, and then I thought this show good where, like, okay, Steamboat, the senior member of the team, didn't fall for Austin's trick with the handshake. But Douglas kind of does when Pillman fakes his knee injury. So I, I thought that did a good job of kind of showing the seniority of the face team. Uh, it was a little thing. Um, the crowd immediately catched on that Pillman was faking, too. He got pretty good uh, heel heat there. Um, he tries to launch himself back in. Douglas hit a power slam from the outside, which I thought was a good-looking move. Uh, then Douglas takes Austin down. And I, I really thought Shane – I mean, I think Shane Douglas is holding his own here, uh, which I, I think is kind of surprising because, I mean, he's in there with three other guys that – nowadays would be seen as pretty big i guess work rate fiends around this time and yep uh i, I don't think he embarrasses himself uh he comes back with the back senton austin pillman are reeling um and then the they able to uh they're able to take advantage on steamboat so steamboat plays face in peril uh which was a bit of a surprise to me i loved when pillman threw steamboat right over the top rope when the ref wasn't looking uh, just in a, a great dig hill move. Austin slams Steamboat on the floor. Um, I liked Austin's kick. The Steamboat's ribs on the apron. Uh, you know, of course, really good face and peril stuff by Steamboat. No surprise there. Gut wrench suplex by Austin. Um, and and the thing that I liked here was the hope spots. I thought yep. some of these hope spots was great. Where 
Steamboat gets a shot in on Pillman, which uh, Pillman's on the apron. That sends him into the guardrail throat first, you know, one of his signature spots. And then, but I'm, I was surprised he was able to use it effectively as a heel here. Um, and then Steamboat crawls under Austin's legs, and it looks like he's about to tag Douglas, but Ste- uh, Austin's able to hit a back suplex. Just a great hope spot. Um, and then another great hope spot where Steamboat hits his own back suplex about a minute later. Hot tag finally gets made. Austin comes off the top rope onto Douglas and puts Pillman on top of him. Uh, Douglas is able to barely kick out a big pop. And then the finish comes where Austin gets the belt and kind of wallops Douglas right as the ref is coming into the ring. So he sees him. Uh, the blondes get DQ'd. So kind of a, I mean, I, I did read the other reviews after this match, and I saw sort of some of the critique of the finish. Even in the PWO thread, there's some critique of the finish. But I, I thought, you know, this is clearly like the first or second match in this feud. And I thought for that reason, the, the finish wasn't that bad. And the other thing I loved was the uh, Austin and Pillman kill the faces with the belts after the match, where uh, Douglas is bleeding, which I don't know if they had clearance from TBS or not. Maybe Meltzer has that. I doubt it. So I was surprised to see that, where Douglas is busted open. Um, And then Pillman whips Steamboat, which was just sickening, the kind of the strap, you could hear it. Uh, so I ended up giving this match four stars. I thought it was great. I I loved every bit of it. Exactly the same rating, Chad, four stars. Absolutely loved it. Um, I thought the shine sequence was really good at establishing Steamboat and Douglas as a really well-oiled unit as the champions. Um, I loved some of the double team spots they did. I agree with you. Shane Douglas looks great. I mean, he was a good, I mean, the thing is about Shane Douglas is that, you kind of look back on his career and you think about like not like the pushes that you know he has quite a lot of false starts in his career I'd say and so he he didn't know he like never quite delivered on his potential no yeah he was a good wrestler though you know I I would say in terms of his ability he was you know he certainly had um good ability I would say and like groomed in the right way he could have been like a Kurt Hennig or something I would say I wouldn't say that's an exaggeration, would you? No, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess my like point of reference with Douglas always is sort of like his long heel television title run in ECW, where it felt like he cut these really long promos and he'd he'd work kind of a boring match on top as a heel, but uh, right. yeah, I don't think that's the most effective use of him. But I mean, you know, I think. You can certainly make an argument somebody like Henning is better as a face as a, than a heel too. So there's that. Um, I really like. I was really entertained by the heat or the or the face in peril segment on Steamboat, which are, are always fantastic. Um, I actually think Austin's bringing his A game on offense now, doing all the vet suplex variations and things. Right. He's come a long way in like in if you consider what he was like in late '91 to this point. Yeah. I think it's night and day. Yeah. Um, and Pillman is Pillman. Um, so I'll be interested to see how Pillman develops as a, as a heel over this year. I, I've always liked him as a heel. Personally. Sure. Yeah, me too. And I thought he was a uh, great here. So now I, I do get like the finish, you know, it wasn't a clean finish, but it was, it was what it was. I thought the post-match angle was absolutely fantastic. Like you said. Um, and I did, uh, 
I actually thought the near fall right before the finish was quite a hot near fall. Like they read like that was one of those two and like ninety nine hundred. Yeah, yeah. Right? Douglas did very good to kick out right at the last second, um, and the crowd erupts from it. So that was uh, I I don't know four stars, really good match. I'm looking forward to seeing more iterations of this one right. as we go forward. Now, Jesse introduces race for another time, even more hardy <laughs> race on this I show. Mean, I mean, it's almost, yeah, he is all over this day. Uh, who's with Vader? Absolutely loving the suit on Jesse. Um, <laughs> and Vader is the champ now. Yes. So when did this happen? So this happened uh, two days after Starcade, I think, December 30th, 1992. House show, Vader wins. Um, and, you know, we talked about it. It seemed like it was coming that way. They just decided to do it on a house show, show clips on Saturday night, and that's that. I thought. I mean, I thought that was it of the Simmons push, but uh, go ahead with this segment. Well, I mean, basically what happens is that Ron Simmons comes out, and um, Vader just absolutely destroys him. He gives him, what, three, four shoulder breakers? to re-injure the salt shoulder right. so is that it for simmons is he done uh, i think he still does a couple of other no he definitely comes back but i i don't i, I didn't get this i mean to me i didn't get it because at first simmons gets one over you know initially um and then uh he beats up race and Vader, and I thought, well, at least he's more over because the crowd did react to that. But from from Meltzer's notes, it, it appears that this was punishment from Bill Watts. Oh, this is basically what? Um, Simmons no showed. Oh, like a pr- okay. like a previous show, and uh, he says in Mexico they may suspend you without pay, but uh, they don't make you fly to Milwaukee. Um, so it, he says, boy, it sure doesn't pay to no show. Um, he says, by this point, I was expecting Watts to run out and give Simmons his notice there and then. So, basically, Simmons is really pissed off uh, Bill Watts, and this shoulder-breaking angle is part of it. Um, kind of weird booking, I think. Yeah, I mean, because uh, Vader has, you know, a pay-per-view main event with somebody else coming up. So. Yeah, and of course, this means that the Thunder Cage now is down three versus two. Yeah, let me. What 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 the hell is this booking, Chad? Yeah, yeah, I, I know. And 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 Van Hammer was supposed to. So so, so this was supposed to be a four on four match. You've lost yep. Barbarian, Van Hammer, and Al Simmons. You've lost three out of the eight competitors. Why announce it in the first place? I, I don't understand because it's not even like uh, I, 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 I can't even pretend to understand what the book, what the booking is uh, like, why not book it three versus three and just lose Simmons from it through this angle and not bother with the Van Hammer barbarian part just seemed to be a lot of strange uh, decisions here. Um, what else happens now? Oh yes. Sting is involved. Um, and uh, do we have a match? No, no, no. The match starts now. Right. The main event. So it's the Thunder Cage. So we've got Vader, Orndorff, and um, who is it again? Oh, God. Uh, 
Wyndham. 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 Yeah. Wyndham yes. Taking on Dustin. Sting yeah. and Dustin. Yeah. So a diminished baby's face side. Right. What did you make of this one? I this one I think's a mess. It just is. The Thunder Cage sucks. I hate the Thunder Cage. I don't think the Thunder Cage was used as a weapon throughout this whole match. If it was, I missed it. I didn't write a note about it. Um, I mean, at the beginning, you have the three on two advantage, and then Vader just sort of hangs out on the apron. I didn't understand that. Like at the very beginning of this match, they're brawling and then Vader's just sort of hanging out there. Um, and then they go outside and have a sort of a traditional tag match with uh sting the faces peril. I, I mean, this just felt like a match to me. There was action, but you, I mean, you have some, um, you have some big names in here, but there was just no juice to what was going on. I mean, Dustin gets the hot tag after they work over Sting, and finally we get some uh, some juice in the match, and then out comes Cactus Jack with bolt cutters to get into the cage. Why he didn't do that at the very beginning, I'll never know, but um, Jack ends up hitting everybody with his boot. Cactus gets sent to the outside, but he hits Orndorff with his boot when uh, Orndorff was trying to pile drive Dustin Rhodes, and uh, that gives the faces the win. I, th- I thought this was really disappointing. I mean, this show up to this point I'd found pretty enjoyable. Uh, you had a four-star match, had the good Benoit match. I liked some of the other segments. Um, and, I, and I was thinking, you know, with this talent level, with the Thunder Cage, you know, maybe – we could have a kind of fun brawl to end it out, but uh, I didn't enjoy this one at all. Gave it two and a half stars and was really disappointed given the talent level. Wow. Okay, well, you were harsher on it than Meltzer, who gave it three and a quarter, said it was an all-action brawl and a good match. Uh, he does have one quite funny line. He says, I'm just glad that the cage match started because if this show had gone on any longer, it would have ended up as a singles match. Boom. <laughs> Dave on fire in yeah, the 71 page edition. That's, that's pretty good. Um, anyway, um, what did I make of the match? Well, I uh, I really like Paul Orndorff in the match. I thought his belly to back suplex on Sting looked great. I've always liked Orndorff during this run, Chad. He always looks like crisp and intense, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I like Orndorff stuff. Um, I did really like the extended face in barrel sequence on Sting, too. I felt like uh, Wyndham, Vader, and Orndorff attacked him like kind of hungry dogs going after a piece of meat. So, you know, that that was just enjoyable from in a vacuum, you know. Um, As for the booking, Cactus Jack breaking into the cage. I mean, what the... I mean, the booking of the show is all over the place, Chad. So... First of all, he cut, he breaks into the ring with a pair of bolt cutters. Right. Th- then he gets the pin. So what? He's now suddenly part of the team, and his pinfall counts. Since when? I didn't understand. Uh, I mean, uh, J- Jesse was burying it on commentary too, but I do <laughs> I do not understand that booking. Like, w- when was Jack part of the? Well, team? and why did he just decide to come out when like twelve minutes into the match? Either I, I didn't get that either. Um, but yeah. Like had they what what were we meant to think here that they'd made a deal with Cactus Jack before and he was the mystery third party? Right, it was it didn't make a lot of sense. Terrible Any booking. Sense. I, I, I mean, if Bill Watts is responsible for this, terrible booking. Yeah. Um. 
So I gave it three stars. So I liked it a bit more than you. Yeah, you, you know I'm very harsh on cage matches that never use the cage. So I, I, I mean, I, I just thought this was essentially was a prop for Katniss Jack to break into with bolt cutters. Like that's what the Thunder Cage purpose was. I will say that Jack is so much better on the mic by this point because he cuts a promo and he's a lot better. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, compared to when did he come in in like 91? Uh, well, yeah, we see him some in early 90 and he's really rough, but yeah, yeah, he's, he's come on a long way in that three years. I would say right. like, he seemed like he could be a star now. Yeah. Like the Cactus Jack Manson stuff. Yep. Yeah. So, um, one last thing, this is the end of the road for Jim Ross and his tie. Right. Good riddance, or are you sad to see him go? Um, well, I mean, I, I think the pairing with Jesse has been rough. Uh, it felt like he needed a change of scenery, right? Like, it feels like this is a good time for him to bid adieu. Um, I don't know. And it kind of feels apropos with Watts leaving, too. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, because, of course, Watts has gone, too. Right. It, it, just, it just feels like this is sort of, you know, the, the Ross that I remember fondly of UWF and late 80s NWA, you know, chanting this is the NWA with the chop exchanges between Flair and Steamboat and him just losing his mind. Um, I feel like that's dwindled a good bit where he's more grouchy here. Um I, I, yeah, it just felt like it was time for a change. And, and Tony, somebody, you know, who's been relegated to this host role, he feels wasted on these super shows too. So, yep. Uh, I can't wait for Tony to come back. Um, I, I will say, I mean, if I, cause I mean, it's been a long time that we've been covering Jim Ross on these shows now, Chad. Uh, I would say if he had a highlight, it would probably be the match he calls with Terry Funk. Um, which, yep. which one is Clash that? Six. Clash Six. I mean, that seems to be the highlight of his WCW tenure. Yeah, from a, yeah. Announcing point right. of view. I liked I liked him and um, Coddle. I thought I thought they were good together. Um, I, and him and I like, Tony. I liked him and Tony team. Yeah. When's that? Nineteen ninety. Yeah, late, late ninety one. Kind of that time frame, right before Jesse comes in. So yeah, Jesse ruined it. They had some pretty good chemistry, uh, uh, Ross and Shivani. Yep. Um, less so the, the the Jesse team, although Jesse's been on fire for '92. Uh, <laughs> Ross not not playing, and uh, he can take his ball and run up run up to New York. Yeah, I mean, this will be it. We will not see Ross again. So I mean, that's I'm trying to think. Uh, he he may be actually one of the biggest people in the hit run of our show. You know where the big boys play that. Probably, you know, probably since Tully left. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but it may be even bigger than Tully in the whole kind of meta framework of WCW and NWA. Um, he, he's up there, and we will see Tully back. He wrestles at Slamboree. Oh, yeah. yeah, a very good point. So, um, so, so yeah. I mean, I can't think of anyone. I mean, maybe Magnum, but you know, Magnum is sort of more of a eighty star. I mean, I mean, this is someone that certainly did. I mean, most people remember. I would say Ross is, you know, Jr. with the cowboy hat now. So, but but yep. but this is it for him with us. Or, I have to say, over, over the past year, my love for Jim Ross has really diminished. Yeah, uh, I, shows. yeah. I, I mean, it. 
I would say probably three or four years ago, I would put him right below someone like Lance Russell, but, uh, you know, a number two announcer of all time. And now I, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've kind of soured on most wrestling announcing overall, actually. I, I, uh, it's like the more I watch, the more I dislike wrestling announcing because, you know, I watched the world class and I thought Bill Mercer was terrible. And <laughs> I, I know y'all love Cal, but. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean the that's, best, that's, uh, that's like kind of an ironic, you know. Yeah. yeah I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's, he's not objectively awful. Yeah, right. right. I, I, I still, I mean, I, I like the announcers who don't know anything about wrestling. I mean, so, solo Vince is. Actually, Vince looking uh, a lot better these days. Vince would be right up there, I reckon. Yeah, solo. I take, I take Vince over Jim Ross. Uh, against solo Vince, I don't know about this era, Vince. What a maneuver! I mean, right now we're in what a maneuver, Vince. So <laughs> ninety. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's got a hype bit of storyline. Yeah, uh, well, it's his stories. I hope so. <laughs> Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I, I, at this point, I take rid of Monsoon over. Oh Russell. come on! No way. <laughs> That's I definitely take Tony over. Yeah, uh, Ross. Tony. Okay, Tony's a good one. Uh, but Monsoon, get out of here. I'm Mooney. Oh no! Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. Um, we should, in the interest of comprehensive coverage, Chad, do a little bit of a eulogy for uh, the Bill Watts era. Yes. Um. Now, he comes in, remind me exactly when he comes in. Um, it's right around the, uh, we can say from like around Beach Blast, that clash with the tournament onward. So, you know, about a six, seven month run. Okay. Um, so we we absolutely loved, I mean, if I was to give Kip Allen Frey a rating, it would be 10 out of 10. What, what do you give the Bill Watts era? Who? Maybe 6.5 out of 10, 6, 6, probably a 6. I do think yeah. he was successful in some areas, um, but very unsuccessful in other areas. And I actually think one of the weird things is, I mean, I guess the booking of this show didn't really show it, but on the TV around this time, it feels like some stuff is starting to come together. I mean, you got you got the Blondes teaming up, which was a good move. Uh, you, you got, um, more, they did, they were doing these kind of sit down spotlight interviews at this point, which were right. really fun to watch one with Arn, uh, which is really good. Uh, so I enjoyed that Wyndham before he blows out his knee is really strong. Has that match with steamboat on TV that we'll watch at the end of the year. So, so it feels like he was starting to put, you know, he kind of had, Figured out that Simmons wasn't working, so he moved on from that. Him as champion, um, so so the pieces were starting to come there, but um, I mean they never did, obviously. So it, it's kind of a weird run overall, where he really tried to institute a new mentality, and right at the very end, it's almost like it was starting to come to fruition, but then he was out the door. Yeah, you know, I'd be a little bit harsher than you, Chad. I would go probably go more like five out of ten. Right. I th- I think that um, I mean, how can I put this? There's a lot of kind of injury stuff, guys no showing, and like somehow that stuff finds its way onto the product. 
it's almost like Bill Watts wants to explain everything up front, you know, as a man, you know, he's going to come on and explain it and it ends up being way too complicated. Um, and I, I, you even saw it on this show, like what the hell is all the stuff around the, around the, just give us the match dude. Or like, if they're not going to, if they're not going to come up, just mention it, get Jim Ross does mention it quickly on commentary. Don't try to explain every little thing because it ends up just being such a mess. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is that, uh, it feels like there's a lot of things that are abortive things that start getting going. And then for whatever reason, he changes his mind two weeks later. So I don't know. He just seems like a guy who either has his hands tied as in he's making decisions and they're getting overturned or is in two minds about things. So you, you get, you know, you get things that don't lead anywhere. You know, it's all that NWA title tournament stuff, and then they just get unified. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I do think there's that. Like, you know, Jake gets brought in, and then he's gone. Um, so there's a lot of kind of stop starts. Yeah, just I mean, even this thing with Ron Simmons here, whatever. Be or like the thing with the the Tony Atlas. Like Meltzer does have a point. What What's the point? You know, it's like I, I don't know. There's a lot of things that happen that either don't lead anywhere. Or that are made a big deal of, and then they're not like they change a different direction again. It's almost like that he tries to reinvent the wheel like three different times during six months, which is a bit too much, you know. Right. So, yep. I get that. Um. So, um, you know, sorry to see you go, Jim and Bill, <laughs> but that they will they will remain Chad on our outro uh, to keep with tradition. We like that. Oh, there we go. So um, let's do the uh, – oh, thumbs up for the card? Yeah, I mean, I'd give it a thumbs up. It's quick. It's an hour and 45 minutes, so it's easy. Uh, the main event left a bad taste in my mouth, but otherwise a pretty easy show to digest. Good wrestling, bad booking, that's what I say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yes, so match of the night I think is a no-brainer. Yeah, tag match for me, yeah. tag title match. Steamboat and Douglas versus Austin and Pillman. Right. MVP. MVP. I am going with Brian Pillman. Um, I kind of hinted around that, but I, I thought he was able to kind of become a, a great catalyst for the heel character they were trying to portray. He was able to get good heat. Like I mentioned in the review, I was really impressed at him mixing in some of his signature face spots as a heel, like going to the guardrail. Uh, so I was, I was really impressed with him in this match. I'm going to give it to Paul Orndorff. I thought mm. that he looked excellent in everything he did. I mean, we can talk about the booking, but he was asked to deliver pile drivers. They looked amazing. Like, everything looked... I don't know. It, it just seems to me like the guy was on fire. Like, he'd come back with something to prove. And, um, yeah. So, that's... Uh, he stood out to me again. And he does a lot in 93, I seem to recall. So, that'll be something to keep an eye on. I don't suppose there'll be another time where he wins MVP, though. But maybe. Um, Billy Graham award winner. Yeah. Um, Not allowed to give it to Bill Watts. What about Eric? <laughs> if you can, yeah. You can uh, I mean, it, ah, it may feel kind of unfair on a 30-second segment, but it was so bad, and that shirt was so bad, too, that I think I got to give it to him. I mean, to me, it's either between him or Rage. Um, because Rage oh, I thought yeah, was really yeah. bad. I, I I guess I'll be nice and give it to Rage because he actually wrestled a match. Uh, bad rope running out of position, 
kind of had that Dan Spivey, a little bit dangerous to take his power moves situation going on. So yeah, I wasn't going to Spivey. It, it was pretty bad. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Brad Armstrong. Oh, man. That's, that's so <laughs> harsh. <laughs> so, Ubi, you cannot, in 1993, sit in a bloody armbar. Oh, man. <laughs> what a spot monkey. Why don't you just throw on some Dragon Gate? <laughs> what do you mean when you're in there with Benoit? He's literally doing, like, snaps oh, and flexes. And, you know, that was his point. He's there to get him over. Do something more interesting. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I think both of us can agree that we're not in this, you know, Brad Armstrong should have been a world champion camp. Like, we've seen nothing that shows he's like one, you know, when most underrated wrestlers of all time, his name seems to come up. I, you know, not, I'm not a proponent of that, but, uh, yeah. It's, it's actually a residual thing. This is the third or fourth time that we've seen a Brad Armstrong singles match and he's done the same thing. <laughs> And, 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 like, literally, he's in there with Benoit, who could take anything. Like, at that point in 93, like, even I could probably do a suplex on him and he'd be able to sell it, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I just think that you, there's no excuse for it. So, with that said, where are we going next, Chad? What's the next uh, paper? Super Bowl three, which uh, White Castle of Fear. So, you know, grab your hamburger, I guess, as Meltzer would say. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. Seems to be a good show to me, Super Bowl 3. Yes, yeah, some fun stuff. Got Scorpio versus Benoit and the strap match, which I uh, adore. Yeah, so we got some good stuff coming up. Uh, so join us the next time for Where the Big Boys Play. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>